0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 168. It is tentatively titled, Is Life More Difficult for Millennials? I recently got an email from Ryan. He writes the Dollars and Cents LA blog. It's a personal finance blog for millennials in Los Angeles. He did a really nice post where he profiled my show and and all the things that he learned from it, and I'll link to that in the show notes of this episode. But he writes, given that I am a millennial, I understand many of the financial struggles my generation collectively face because I've gone through them myself, specifically increasing student debt, stagnant wages, and increasing housing costs in big cities. If I may, I would love to hear from you on a future episode addressing these hurdles, the implications on millennials, and possibly some tips to manage them. And then later in his email, he said, if you, if you don't know any millennials, he, he gave some examples uh, of some of the struggles, student loan debts, which I believe his, his he's all paid off and mentioned the average price for a starter home in Los Angeles area is $600,000. Now we'll get to that. I have three millennials. As my kids, LaPril and I, two sons, we have a 25-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 19 teen-year-old daughter, I spoke to all of them about being a millennial, and every single one says they don't really like that term. They don't like to be put in a box. They don't like to say our generation because it, it is so diverse. Yet there are some statistics. So that was my first thought. Well, are millennials that different from perhaps when I was growing up? I'm not a millennial. I I guess I would be called Generation X, and I never really related to that term. I thought it was always kind of a silly name. But the U.S. Census Bureau did a a very comprehensive study comparing young adults, which are ages 18 to 34, which is generally the millennial age. Millennials were born in the around 1983, early 80s, through kind of early 2000s. And they did this study comparing the young adults in 2015 or 2016, eight, age 18 to 34, and compared them to young adults in that same age cohort in 1975, which would clearly be baby boom generation. And as you look at it, compared to that generation, the millennials today, they make more money. Their incomes are higher, adjusted even adjusting for inflation they're more educated they they more of them work full-time jobs they do have more student loan debt and housing prices are higher but not because houses are more expensive it's because houses are larger than they were in 1975 in fact this was this is pretty fascinating the average square foot house in 1973 was 1,660 square feet. In 2015, it was 2,687 feet. And so, and households have got, got, gotten smaller, and as a result, there's more, the the amount of house per person, square footage-wise, has gone from 507 to 971 square feet. So, we're used to having more space. And I was speaking with a, a listener, remember Money for Thirst was plus Ward, and he told this story. They he was visiting some friends. They had a brand new house with four or five bathrooms. Big, bigger house, certainly bigger than nineteen seventy-five average. And he needed to use the bathroom. And so he started walking off to the bathroom. And they said, no, 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 no. You can't go to that bathroom. We don't use that because we don't want to have to clean it. So they sent him to the other bathroom. And he, and he thought, how amazing is that? That houses are so big. If you can afford such a big house, you can't afford or choose not to pay someone to clean it. And you don't want to clean it, so you don't use half your house because you don't want it to get dirty. I remember back, I had friends growing up that they, they their parents would get new furniture, particularly this one friend. And you can never go in the living room. And you certainly couldn't sit on the living room furniture, the new living room furniture, because it was covered with plastic so it didn't get dirty. So houses are bigger. The price per square foot in 1973 was around 107 to $108 square foot to build them. And then adjusting, this is all adjusted for inflation so we can compare apples to apples, 2015 it was around one hundred and twenty dollars per square foot, about the same. It got higher in, in the in the the bubble, so it got over one hundred thirty dollars square foot. But they've come back, so it's not as if the houses are bigger. In fact, they're more energy efficient. They come with more bathrooms, closets, fireplaces. They have more more appliances, air conditioning. Ninety three percent of houses in 2015 have air conditioning versus less than half in the early 1970s. And so one of the things we have to, to think about if, with, is, is life more difficult for the millennials. Clearly, if you're in Los Angeles, it is more expensive to buy a house versus versus Idaho, uh, clearly. But that's because a lot of people want to move and live in Los Angeles. And you don't, Necessarily have to now. If you you have a full time job there, my uh, my son has a friend that uh, just got a job with Pixel in San Francisco, and in Pixel Studios, he's an illustrator for uh, an illustrator, and having trouble finding houses, affordable houses in San Francisco. So there are definitely pockets, particularly big cities, because that's where people are are moving. Younger people want to move there, but you don't you don't have to move to a big city. One of the people I follow online, it's a millennial, Colin Wright. And I, I came across his blog a number of years ago. It's called Exiles Lifestyles. And he would go and live, Just he used to have a design agency in LA. He shut it down, became a freelancer, started writing, lived all around the world. He spent the last six months living in Kansas City. And then he moved to Memphis. And that's where he's at. He's been there a, a few weeks to to a month and is exploring a new city, extremely lower cost city, has a a loft that he's renting. I don't know what he's paying, but if you have some flexibility, you don't have to live in the high rent district. You can find a, a cheaper house. Let's take a look at this census data. This is comparing the older millennials, so ages 25 to 34, generally those that have already finished college if they went to college, and what's, what's clear is more millennials are working than back in 1975. So 77% of millennials are employed and 57% are employed full time. That compares to 1975, when 67% were employed and 46% full time. Now, that biggest difference is women. In 1975, 49% of women were working. And 26% were working full time. Compare that to today in, in 2016, 70% are working, 48% full time. And so that's that's a difference. Now, when we look at the men, it's about the same. So 84.9% of men were working in 1975 versus 83.7% today, and 67% in 75 versus 2016 are working full-time. And so they're working. The unemployment rate. For millennials, the 25 to 34 age cohorts 4.5% compared to 6.3% in 1975. So there's jobs, they're 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 working compared. Comparative, it's not harder today than back in 1975 in terms of being able to get employment. Millennials are way more educated. In 1975, 23% uh, men and women ages 25 to 34 had a bachelor's degree or higher. Today, that is 37%. And in terms of high school diploma only, 40% of those in 1975 that 25 to 34 had a high school diploma versus 25% today. That's the only, so high school diploma or less. And 18% didn't have a high school diploma at all in 1975 versus 8.5% in 2016. And that's a bit, that's a difference. Now, they're more educated. Now, as part of that education, that college education that has required millennials to take on student loan debt, and that, that student loan burden is significant, but not as significant as I thought, the average student loan debt coming out of college today is around $30,000. It definitely varies by state. The high debt states for student loan debt are New Hampshire at $36,101, Pennsylvania at $35,000, Connecticut at $35,000, and Delaware at 34000 And so the, the more indebted states, and this is according to data from Institute for College Access and Success, are in the Northeast. We have a lot of more expensive private colleges. The low debt state, the lowest is Utah, 18,873. And the reason why that's so low is that's where Brigham Young University is, That that's a private school that's heavily subsidized by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as a result, they're sort of the low price leader. And, as, and so the state colleges are, are Little more reasonable compared to perhaps state colleges in another area, but New Mexico, California, average student loan burden. In California is twenty two thousand one hundred and ninety one. So that student loan burden is there, and I talked about that in episode forty five, funding the startup of you. And in my opinion, is it, it makes no sense to go to a very expensive private liberal arts school where you're paying forty dollars to, to $50,000 a year in tuition if you're going to come out with $200,000 in debt. That's just, it, it, there's better ways to go about this. You can start off at a junior college and transfer. It, perhaps it makes sense to go to a more expensive college if, if you're set on a profession that is gonna be that you know is gonna pay a lot coming out, an engineer or technology. And but if if liberal arts is where you want to go, there's better ways to go about that instead of paying student loan debt. There was an article in New York Times, just I think it was the New York Times, just just recently about the average student loan burden of those that graduate from Harvard's, I think it was, I'm not going to give the right degree, but it was basically acting. It was an acting, it was a master's in acting degree. That's not the name of the degree, but they're they're, they're planning on going into the theater and they're leaving that program on average with $80,000 in debt, which is so much debt they can't even pursue their acting career because of this student loan burden. So you have to match the debt load with the potential income. If you don't know what you want to do, it just makes no sense to take out a bunch of student loans. If you, if you know what you want to do and you're set on it and you know it's a very lucrative profession, then they're leveraging up in that way makes sense. Now, because millennials are more educated, they make more money. When you look at the data, this is interesting. The Census Bureau didn't, they put the median income... Personal median income, 1975 versus 2016. The median income was actually higher in 1975. So the median being the middle person, $37,000 versus $35,000 in 2016. And, and the men are down. So men in 1975, median earnings was $46,000. Today, it's 2016, it's $40,000. Women are higher. Twenty nine thousand four hundred twenty nine dollars in twenty sixteen, versus twenty three thousand in nineteen seventy five. But it's definitely skewed, and so the percent that are earning less than twenty nine or less than thirty thousand dollars in nineteen seventy five, that was fifty three percent, and now it's fifty percent. And the percent earning over sixty between sixty and one hundred thousand, it was twelve percent in nineteen seventy five. It's thirteen percent today and then those earning more than $100,000 and again these are inflation adjusted 5.4% in 2016 versus 1.7 in 1975. And so that, that you have some I guess you call it income inequality but you sort it it's it's just the fact that more education means those that have that education are earning more and that means that it, that's skewing the, the, the higher deciles, so a greater percent of people are making more money. So the average is higher, but still the median is, is a little lower today, which is generally those that don't have a college degree or maybe even a high school diploma. And definitely millennials in that camp are, are, are struggling. And those are those that tend to live at home. The Census Bureau points out that 23% of millennials in 2016 live in their parents' home or their way of college versus 15% in 1975. The study says, in line with attitudes about the importance of education for becoming adult, many young people wait to set up their own household until after they finish school. Living on their own can be expensive, so young people who live independently tend to have higher incomes, even among young millennials. Among older millennials, more than half of those who live in their own household have incomes of at least $30,000 compared with only one-third of their peers living with roommates and one-quarter living with parents. And so if if you're making less than $30,000, you're more likely to live with roommates or at home, and partly that's due to houses are more expensive. In 1975, 52% of young adults ages 25 to 34 were homeowners. Comparable to today, that's 29%. So houses, because they're bigger, more expensive, the student loan burden is definitely there. And But then millennials are making more money and more of them are employed. And so I wouldn't say financially it's that much more difficult today versus in 1975. I think because of the education, a lot of these major forming a household, getting married, they're pushing that out further, but there is one major difference between millennials today, what they face versus 1975. Before I tell you about that challenge, let me share some words from this week's sponsor. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. The biggest difference between millennials and young adults when I was growing up or baby boomers is there are so many more choices and we're so much more aware of those choices. In 2004, Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice and Paul Hebert Gave a review of this 10 years later, 2014, in Pacific Standard Magazine. He does a great job of describing the book and the challenge that millennials face. It says in the book, for example, he explores the stress people feel when confronted with ample opportunity and the regret that follows from choosing poorly. Whose fault is it other than mine? He also discusses our loss of presence. Why am I doing this when I could be doing that? Our raised expectations. With so many options, why settle for less? and our tarnished sense of self that comes from comparing our choices with the choices of others. Why do I continue to pick the wrong things when Alex always picks the right ones? In sum, Schwartz's work poses a serious challenge to the notion that more choice brings about more freedom, and more freedom brings about more happiness. As the book's subtitle implies, sometimes a lot is simply too much. My son, who recently graduated, mentioned there's just so many choices; it can be intimidating. Different economic for formats, projects you can do. Very easy to pick up and move to another country. And he admits he was somewhat unprepared for that dip when you graduate from college. Pretty regulated daily routine. You're studying. You do internships, and then suddenly you graduate. And you have the entire world in front of you, so many choices. I didn't know of many choices. I chose finance because a stockbroker got up in the business school, University of Cincinnati, and said you could make hundred thousand dollars as a stockbroker, and I thought I'd like to make hundred thousand dollars. So I studied finance, and and that that was it. I didn't. You didn't have this instantaneous information, this ability to look at other ways of doing it. I did go to a broker about three years in and did a day at work at a, a brokerage firm and realized that brokers were salespeople and I did not want to be a salespeople person. And so I, I didn't do that, but they it was it's so much easier to, to find people that are living different lives, things that we could do. And so it's hard to make those choices. Seth Godin recently wrote, titled, You're Arrived. It's easy to fall in love with the GPS version of the universe. There, just ahead, after that curve, drive a little further, your destination is almost here. Done, you're arrived. Of course, that's not how it works. Not our careers, not our relationships, not our lives. You're always arrived. You've never arrived. Wherever you go, there you are. You're never going to arrive because you're already there. There's no division between the painful going and the joyous arriving. If we let it, the going can be the joyful part. It turns out that arrival isn't the point. It can't be because we spend all our time on the journey. And I've talked about that in terms of wayfinding, and that, that's what it's like. And so with this paradox of choice, so many choices, we, we have to weigh, and we talked about this a few episodes ago, maintaining our optionality, keeping our options open, and actually choosing and making a choice. We're sometimes afraid to make choices because things feel risky. But Godin points out in another post that gulf between risky and feels risky is huge and it's getting bigger. What we choose might not work. And so we have to, to make choices that don't bet the farm. But a consistent pattern of doing. And sometimes when we have so many choices, we don't, we sort of get, just don't know what to do because there's so many things we could do. Or perhaps there's so many choices that nothing actually seems interesting, which would be another paradox of choice. But as millennials or non-millennials or post-millennials or pre-millennials, we have to get in a pattern of doing, of experimenting, of making choices and wayfinding, not knowing there is no destination where we've actually arrived, that it's in the journey and part of that is just taking breaks from this whole social media constant connection. Learn to have the discipline to read a book, to have the discipline to to do a project, and, and to develop the self control to not get distracted and to do things. Let me conclude by circling back to this topic of housing. I recently had lunch with Clayton and his father and brother. They contacted me. They live locally. Clayton just started a new job and was he's married. He was a former, played a few years uh, of professional baseball in the minor leagues and now is starting his career as an accountant or his first job as an accountant. I don't know. If you, you can't even say what your career is going to be, but he's starting his first job. And he was wondering about buying a house. Should he rent or buy? And I I talked to my son about this and and he, not uh, not about Clayton, but we we're just talking about owning a home. And, and his view is he does not want to own a home right now. He's married, doesn't want to own a home because he wants to keep that that optionality open. He considers it the flexibility to be able to move anywhere. But at some time, you actually want to own a house. And when you look at the cost of housing, one of the things I noticed is, is millennials, not just millennials, I suspect all ages, they want to own, often want to own a newer house. A, even a, a newly built house. And I think back to our first house, we paid $70,000 and it was below median in terms of the house. It was kind of on the outer portion of, of a decent neighborhood, but it was, it was kind of near the city, but it was, a, it was a transitional type area. And the owner that lived there had lived there 30 years. The house was outdated and I think he smoked a ton. Spent the entire summer painting the walls with kills. Got high on kills because it, it just the it was just a mess in terms of all the painting. We bought a pickup truck just to be able to to clear out the yard with all the the shrubbery and such. But it took work. We did sweat equity. So if you're a millennial and you want to buy a house, don't look at new houses. Go find one in a neighborhood that's starting to transition. And find one you can fix up and, and get your house that way if that's what you want. And if you don't want a house, then continue to rent because the only way, the one way you make money in houses is certainly having a mortgage at their highly leveraged transactions. And that can help if the housing market's going up. But irrespective of what the housing market is doing, if you can buy an inexpensive expensive home in an up and coming neighborhood and do the work, to, to beautify it and make it better than that. As a, a millennial or anyone else, that's how you build equity in your home. That's episode 168. Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. Go ahead and while you're there, sign up for my insider's guide. Each week, I'll email you the show notes and an article or really an essay that goes just to members of the Insider Guide, that free email. I don't put those on my website. This is the best writing I do each week, and I send to you as an Insider Guide email list member. So that's a moneyfortherestofus.com, or if you would like, you can text the word, US-based listeners, text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. Only Have not considered your specific risk profile, I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing the economy. Have a great week.